this is perhaps it's you and we need your money because we got some broken headphones. We just found out. Yeah. Send it on over. Our equi- we've used our equipment and now it's starting to wear out. That's, I mean. Is it have- true that we just bought cheapo headphones on Amazon? Yes. No. <laughs> and now they're starting <laughs> to you break? Like my lie? N- n- no. N- n- Look, we're, go. we're podcasting on a budget, all right? I gotta we go. We didn't always have the podcast. Hey, this is like a pretty professional setup, sort of, at my <laughs> kitchen table here. This table, okay, this table. We're sitting at like a 50s laminate table that's gray and has black roses on it. You've seen it on our Instagram if you follow us. And I often post stories as we record. It like looks something uh, Morticia Adams might have, so I love it. And I... The reason we got this is because this was in an apartment of all dudes. And I was like, I just like gushed over this table. Like, oh my God, this is so cool. Where did you get this? And they were like, what? We played like beer pong on that thing. <laughs> I was like, oh my, like. <laughs> it's going to waste. Yeah. And so when, when the roommate who I think had brought it originally moved out, they were like, you want this thing? Like, yes. That's its That's its legacy. It was meant to be. Faith brought free, this table to you. Free table that we're using. And now it's in the podcast studio. It'll probably outlive me, honestly. AKA Liz's dining room. I'm one of those people that's like, mm, they just don't make stuff like they used to. Mm. <laughs> like, well, welcome to Perhaps It's You. Oh, hi. We're an unofficial Hello. Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. Where we whine about headphones and talk about free tables. I feel like welcome. every podcast starts with us mumbling something about our equipment, not acting the way we want it to act. It's um a humbling it's um that's true oh my god lenny is literally licking my toes right now (laughs) okay so lenny is my dog by the way not if this isn't the first podcast (laughs) you've tuned in for not a neighborhood pervert (laughs) this is lenny briscoe my mutt here who just decided it was a great time to start licking my toes that anyway whoa okay we are off to a killer start you go, oh, this must be like their second episode. No, no. We're, We're on, on season four. Season four. We've done four seasons of this show. I cannot believe that, honestly. I, I mean, it kind of blows me away. I don't think I'll ever accept it, and then we'll be on to season five, and I won't accept that. Right. We're, it's going to keep happening until we go through all, I don't know, what is there, 13 seasons of Unsolved Mysteries? And then I think we just kill ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we just started a business. We cannot... Oh, shush. We've had that the whole time. I don't know if we were supposed to or not, so be quiet. Don't admit that. We don't make that much money. <laughs> Samantha, don't reveal our secret. Um. Oh, okay. I have two top of the show announcements. Very important. All right. First off, happy birthday to listener Beckett. We have a very special shout out to one of our favorite fans, one of our biggest fans, someone who's been with us from the beginning, a little birdie named Beth, told us that you are celebrating a birthday, and we want to give you a huge happy birthday. Happy birthday, Beckett. Beckett is doing great things. Uh, And if you're wondering, can I get a birthday shout out? No, only Beckett, not you. (laughs) Also want to shout out uh, Beckett's mom, who has just started (gasps) listening to the show. Hi, Beckett's Uh, mom. Hi, Beckett's mom. You (gasps) seem awesome. Wait, what's the name of the hedgehog? Hazel the Hedgehog. Hi, Hazel. Hi, Hazel. I only know Beckett's mom through Hazel the Hedgehog's Instagram, which is Hazel Duh D A Happy Hedgie. Best Hedgehog account out there. Uh, absolutely. So Beckett is awesome. Beckett's mom is awesome. Hazel the Hedgehog is awesome. <laughs> happy birthday, Beckett. Happy, happy birthday. And then second top of the show announcement is that friend of the pod Arden, who you may have heard on the show talking about uh past life 
mysteries and how her aunt was the personal psychic of Zsa Zsa Gabor, the most glamorous story I've ever heard. Arden has the most beautiful voice. She really does. So that's probably how you remember her. I want her back on the show. Also, she, I believe, coined the term ghost slut. Yeah. Or at least that was the episode she was on. Yeah, that's true. She's going to be on a, an upcoming sitcom called Ghost Slut. But anyway, Hitched. Arden that was, was married. The, that Ar- was the point. Arden got married Congratulations, last Arden. Night. I was creeping on your Facebook, Arden, looking at the photos. <laughs> you look gorgeous. She's I can't wait to babe. see more. Oh, my yeah. God. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations, Arden. Yeah. I have another- do I have any actual, like, mysteries-related content? I have one. Oh, you do. Okay, so... So Amy and our podcast group brought to our attention the fact that the last two episodes of the New York Times podcast feature information about genealogical DNA, like how they're using that to find, uh, solve old cold cases. And part two is about the murder of the Canadian couple Tanya and Jay of the uh, nice booty uh, reenactment. Samantha. Look, that's just how people remember it. So you may remember that they used like genealogical DNA to find... The, this the, is the alleged quote unquote alleged killer. He goes on trial next week. So those are depending on when you listen to this episode. The recent uh, New York Times podcasts that were out were about genealogical DNA. And if you're interested um, in learning more about that case and what's going on with it today, I think that would be really interesting. I mean, that case is so brutal and so sad. And what's interesting from our perspective about it is that we covered it, and then very quickly afterwards this DNA evidence came to light. So just as we were mourning how fucking awful it is that these two teenagers came from Canada to the United States and then were immediately brutally murdered, uh, hopefully their families will now see some justice. It's a very sad, very awful case. Absolutely horrible. And what's wild about that is I specifically remember talking about that mystery and being like, well, it's probably never going to be solved. Yeah. And then, like, immediately it was like, no, here's the evidence, finally. Because it seems like they were just randomly murdered by some psychopath. So, to solve something like that would seem very difficult, especially since the case was so old. But yeah, through this familial DNA, they found who they think is the killer. So They had DNA, I think it was from the tip of a, a rubber glove or like a latex glove right but they didn't have anything to compare it to because i don't think what it do was, you do compare it to everyone yeah i don't think it was you know coming up in the the criminal database and they didn't have any suspects since it seemed like such a random crime and now and it is someone that they didn't know if it is this person that's going to go on trial so oh right. uh, uh, horrible horrible but also fascinating any other updates no, I think that's really it, though. Cool. If we want to, like, talk about the weather or snacks for a while, because I don't want to talk about this first mystery. So, I, uh, spoiler alert, I did overall like this episode, but most of it is this really boring mystery okay. that Liz has the misfortune of having to talk you about. you got to bear with me for a terrible mystery, because the second two are so damn good, but... Uh, where did this first mystery come from? It's we, so bad. We have to hold hands and, like really get through this together with the power of love because i'm just oh thankful that liz had to take notes on it because i i'm sure you are i sometimes, I'm be thankful if you had to take notes on it i will sometimes watch the episode twice just to refresh my memory and i attempted to watch this episode this morning and even though the second two mysteries are so good i couldn't get through the first she just one went, fuck it yeah i said it fuck off. this turned it off went and did something else 
So I really was like, where's Rochelle, who we usually make do the historical mysteries we don't want to do, but did we plan ahead enough to do that? No. no also, don't. there's no way she wants to talk We're about this. We're great friends. Yeah. By the way, if you were ever listening to this podcast, which I'm sure you are, you're going, oh man, listen to me, this seems so cool. I wish I could be friends with them. You know what that means? <laughs> we'll make you come on our podcast and do work we don't want to do. So reconsider that that idea it's like we're friends it's like mm, but are we passing work off onto you then it's kind of kind of not like we're friends sort of okay oh my god if you're following along at home with our evil overlords amazon prime we are on season four episode two and unfortunately this starts with a mysterious legend and you go oh good a yeti no bitch it's john wilkes booth <laughs> No, bitch. Nah. If only it was a Yeti. Nah. My kingdom for a Yeti. It's Civil War reenacting and really old white dudes talking about whether or not John Wilkes Booth died when he supposedly died. You know how, I don't know. You know how John Wilkes Booth is totally dead? But when? <laughs> That's the mystery. I can barely bring myself to talk about this. Okay. Okay, so there's people out there that really care about this conspiracy sure. i don't understand why like i i don't want to say that you should go get all into the flat earth conspiracy but at least that is entertaining at least you can get some like pizza globes or whatever this is just boring okay perhaps if you didn't go through the uh united states school system or maybe if you were homeschooled you don't know who john wilkes booth is he is the famous actor who loved slavery so much that he shot Abraham Lincoln. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. How ugly were people during this time period that they considered John Wilkes Booth the most handsome man in America? Yeah. Oh, which is something Robert Stack says. I was going to say, so I didn't pick an MVM for this episode. It can't be John Wilkes Booth. It can't Booth. be John Wilkes Booth because he's a dirtbag. I did so. name his, his mustache, so I called it the shrimp cocktail. <laughs> Because it kind of looks like no, a shrimp. No, it does. It does. No, it's like it's resting on the edge of the glass. It's yeah. perfect. So, I but, don't know. He's not attractive, but apparently during the time period. Oh, my God. Okay, I've been looking at the wrong photo of him thinking he was unattractive. His actual photo is even less attractive. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. But apparently people consider him it's the probably, most handsome man in America. He, his face wasn't covered with boils, and that was, like, good enough. <laughs> At the time, he hadn't lost all of his teeth, so people were like, hubba hubba. Okay, so the official story, the one you might have been taught at school, is that John Wilkes Booth died at the Garrett Farm in Virginia. <coughs> the mainstream media's story. Yeah. yeah if that's you what, believe. If you want to be a sheeple, <laughs> then you'll believe that the Union Army cornered him at this barn, and a guy ran out and surrendered, and then they shot through the barn and burned the barn down, which seems unnecessary and kind of cruel to whoever, to the Garrett family whose barn that was, but anyway, and then they drag a body out. Booth, right? Or... <laughs> Was it? Yeah. Okay. Then Robert Stack takes some time to tell us that John Wilkes Booth was his actor of national fame, and as Samantha mentioned, considered by some to be the handsomest man in America. Like, what, five people? Himself. That's some. Yeah. Him and his mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was um, an idiot, so he was deeply <laughs> devoted to the Confederate cause, to the point where this seemed to, like, really... I mean, it bothered him enough to murder Abraham Lincoln. Why, dude? 
Just stick to act. He was apparently a very successful actor. Just stick to acting. Enjoy your fame and your supposed handsomeness. <laughs> Why are you so stuck on slavery? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, there's there's so much wrong with this country. I guess it makes sense. So, 12 days after the assassination, Union troops surround this area at the farm. A man surrenders. That was 21-year-old David Harold, who was a co-conspirator in the assassination. So, he comes out. He surrenders, and they light the the barn the barn on fire, and then we hear that a nation is avenged, or is it? Look, he's dead. That was my reaction this whole time. I was like, whether he died in that barn or not, he's dead now, <laughs> and good. Seems like he was a jackass. So then, some boring historian comes on to tell us that John Wilkes Booth was not killed by Union soldiers, and that he, in fact, lived until January 13th, 1903, eventually dying in Oklahoma Territory. Okay. And we see Stack in a lovely study by a roaring fire, I wrote down. So apparently, even at the time, people complained that there was not enough hard evidence that the body produced by the Union soldiers was really Booth, and not just some dude. And the man who surrendered, supposedly, as he was running out of the bar and said, the man in there is not Booth. Well, of course he did. Or maybe he didn't, because this information is like telephone, and it's going through like 25 people by the time it gets that. Like, well, don't you think you would run these out? These are all just rumors. That, uh, I mean, either this. way, if he did say it, don't you think he would run out and be like, no, he's not in there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why, why are we believing this Also, guy? I wasn't part of the assassination of the president. Like, Yeah, why are we taking his word for anything? That's a really good point. So, um, he said it was actually a man named Boyd who was wanted at the time, and that's why he was hiding. Um, That man who surrendered was not allowed to testify and was put to death. Okay. Um, (laughs) But also, his, like, testimonial that he made under duress refers to Booth several times. So, make of that as what... Did he say that because he thought he had to? Or did he say that because it really was Booth? And does anyone care? Or is this just all made up hogwash? And then there's all this debate about what color hair the dead guy had. Was so, it red or black? So we can see from this hideous photo, John Wilkes Booth had very dark hair. The corpse supposedly had reddish hair. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Okay. Whatever. And, and fr- uh, freckles. Yeah. This is a real quote that they have some like reenactor say, probably while having his his hand like inside his jacket for some reason that they have old timey people do. I've never understood why. He goes, "He is freckled. I do not recall Booth being freckled." I was wondering if they got like Civil War reenactors to play. Probably because they have the people the facial in this hair for it. Because, and especially like the main reenactor they have is taking this job so seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Especially when they first ride up to the bar and he's like, John Wilkes Booth, <laughs> come out with your hands. Like it's, it's so dramatic. So melodramatic. Well, that guy probably had like a really squeaky voice and was like, John Wilkes Booth, <laughs> come out with your hands up. But that just doesn't seem as effective, right? Exactly. That's actually what happened, everyone. Write it down. (laughs) Rewrite the history books. Rewrite the history books. So the doctor's, like, coroner report, when he looks at the corpse, as he basically wrote down, it's definitely him, but it kind of doesn't look like him. 
which is a little bit weird. Yeah. He was like, oh, it's definitely him. But I don't remember him having this hair color or freckles. But whatever, it's him. So then people debate about that. Apparently, John Wilkes Booth was buried in the basement of an old naval prison. I guess they just didn't want to give him, like, a good grave. And his co-conspirator of his co-conspirators, four were hanged and three were given life sentences. Now, the, the, the meat of the supposed mystery is a book from 1970 called The Escape and Suicide of John Wilkes Booth by a guy named Phineas Bates. And he was a lawyer. Phineas Bates. Yeah, it sounds way made up. Okay. So he was a lawyer who apparently was at the deathbed of a guy named John St. Helen. And while lying there in a feverish state, it's like, my name is not really John St. Helen. I'm actually John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> what <laughs> voice is that? I don't know. Is that Dracula? <laughs> I don't know. Old timey dramatic voice. Okay. <laughs> You don't think that's how he talked? John St. Helens? No, I'm sure John St. Helens sounded just like that in his deathbed. <laughs> and then uh, the doctor, or the lawyer guy who's there for some reason, I guess because of his will, I don't really even understand why he's there. Maybe they were friends. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure you are, John, whatever. You you have a high fever. And he's like, no, let me tell you all of the tale of how we conspired to kill Abraham Lincoln. And he, like, lays out the whole very complicated plot, including that the way he was able to get out of town at this bridge is that he had the, the password TB Road. <laughs> Goes up to the soldiers and is like... They're like, yeah, you can't use the bridge after dark. And he's like, oh, yeah, I have a password, TB Road. And then they go, right this way, sir. <laughs> and this is apparently confirmed by a letter by one of the soldiers. And that that was the only night anyone was allowed to use a road with a password. Okay. Because someone higher up in the army was, like, sympathetic to John oh. Wilkes Booth killing okay. Lincoln. Got it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you following along? Are you following along? And then, uh, he, so he, like, escapes on horse over this bridge, and he meets up with one of his co-conspirators, because he broke his leg killing Lincoln, so they have to take him to the doctor to set his leg, and in the process of him, like, hiding in the back of a wagon, and blah, 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 he loses his papers. I'm falling asleep. I know. He loses his, like, identity paperwork, whatever he would have had at the time. And he's like, oh, co-conspirator, go back and get my paperwork. Which, why? You're, like, running from the law. Don't you not want to have something on you that says, I'm John John Wilkes Booth, Booth, murderer of the president? So anyway, supposedly he sent this other dude back to the wagon to get his paperwork, and that guy is who was dead in the barn. And that's why they thought it was John Wilkes Booth, because he had that paperwork with him. Convenient. Yes. And then... Robert Stack shows us the photos of the two men and say that they look very similar. I have to disagree. Booth is much uglier than John (laughs) St. Helen, which is why when Samantha was saying that, I was like, yeah, he's not that. Oh, oh, yeah, no, he's ugly. He is a a, a strange, intense looking dude, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, I'm not really seeing the resemblance other than the fact they have a similar mustache. But didn't every man at that time have that mustache? Yeah, because shaving was a pain. And I feel like John St. Helen has, like, a way pointier chin and a different brow line. I don't really think they look that similar. They're just both white guys with dark hair and mustaches. 
And also, the coroner guy who said, oh, this is John Wilkes Booth, but doesn't look like him. The reason they brought that doctor there was because he had previously removed a tumor from Booth's neck. And the body did have a scar where that tumor would have been. Okay. Or that growth or whatever. Whatever this handsome man had just sticking out of his neck. (laughs) Oh, so John St. Helen eventually killed himself. He didn't die on his deathbed. He recovered from that fever and kept insisting that he really was John Wilkes Booth, which is why Phineas Bates writes that book about it. But he went on to kill himself by drinking strychnine and his and Phineas has his body like mummified. What? <laughs> yeah. He has his body preserved and then's like later looked at by doctors and they said that he had a, both a scar, a crushed thumb, and a broken leg. Just like Booth would have. Dun 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 dun. So dun 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 dun. How does Phineas get to say what happens to the dude's body? Uh, that is not and explained. Mummify him. Unsolved Mysteries Wiki just says, however, many are skeptical of St. Helen's claims. To this day, doubts remain over the fate of Abraham Lincoln's assassin. Mm-hmm. Well, right. no, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, the ultimate fate is known. Guy's in the ground. Okay, so let's see what they say for results. Unresolved. Okay. The Smithsonian requested that Booth's body be exhumed for an autopsy with the cooperation of his family. How weird would that be to John, be John Wilkes Booth's family? That would be weird. The state court, however, refused to give them full permission, and the case goes unresolved to this day. One rumor to come out in later years is that St. Helen was actually Boston Corbett, the soldier who had claimed God told him to kill Booth. Why would that be him? Okay. This theory claims that his behavior became quite erratic through his life. He once even opening fire in the Kansas State Legislature. <laughs> Later, eventually committed to a sanitarium where he escaped, supposedly for Texas, where he worked as a traveling salesman before he met both where he met Phineas Bates as John St. Helen. However, in 2007, Edward Steers wrote a book. Lincoln Legends, and the so-called proof of Booth's survival has... Oh my god, even this is boring. The entire (laughs) legend was based on the files of Andrew Porter, a man who supposedly in the National Detective Police under Lincoln. However, the National Archives have no record of Porter's existence. I don't even know who that... What? Okay, so that dude was probably not him, but probably also not who... People thought he... Oh, my God. What? I don't care. (laughs) Regardless of these facts, several members of the Booth's family still believe Booth escaped and believe DNA comparisons of his remains would lay these myths to rest. In 2012, a judge ruled against Booth's remains being disinterred for such experiments based on there is not enough evidence to warrant the tests. Look, couldn't his... He's dead! Wait, why does a judge have to... So we know who his family is. Why can't his family say we want him exhumed? I have no idea. Why does a judge get to say no? Not that I I don't care, but literally you could just pull him up, do a DNA test. If- Is he still buried in the like abandoned naval hospital basement? I guess it I assume like, so. It seems like your family should be like, yeah, okay, so he was a murderer and a bad dude. We still want to put him in a grave. Not the floor of this basement. That's a weird place to... The main conclusion, though, is I do not care. <laughs> No. That is the end of that mystery. It was so boring. And so, I think it was a two-parter. Yeah. It was so long. They get so into these historical... Too many old dudes running the show. 
When I googled this to like look, it was basically like no one really believes that wasn't. It's like booth. a fringe conspiracy. It's very. It seems like five people think this. It was not like I don't. There didn't seem to be any like actual academic debate. It seems like it's just a few weirdos who are insisting for some reason that it was not Booth because of that the discrepancy in the hair color. Yeah, which maybe the dude dyed his hair. He was an actor. Yeah, maybe. I don't. Yeah, maybe he wore makeup and dyed his hair. Sure. There you go. Freckled and hair nonsense resolved. I'm a genius. Liz just solved that mystery. I solved it. I solved it. Okay, our next segment is a very interesting Lost Love. This is unlike... So I love Lost Love mysteries. This is unlike any Lost Love we've seen up until this point. It's wild. Okay, so Robert Stack appears between two photos of a balding man and asks, Imagine, there is someone out there who looks exactly like you, walks like you, talks like you. That is the bizarre reality for Jim Boomgarden of Byron, Illinois. Yep. That's how we start. So... Robert Stack says, for years, Jim has been haunted by the specter of a strange (laughs) double, a man who seems to be everywhere, or at least everywhere Jim isn't. Dun, dun, dun. So this is already spooky. Uh, and has me hooked immediately. So, yeah, it's so good. We fade to an amateur softball game in Rockford, Illinois in 1984. It's a typical Saturday at a company game, but an eerie event is about to unfold. This would be so weird. Third baseman Rick Holder is coming up to bat. Suddenly, his brother-in-law, Jim Boomgarden, who should be 20 miles away at home, steps up to pitch for the opposing team. Well, you would be like, huh, I didn't. No, he did softball. Right. Rick, but that's clearly him. Rick tells Unsolved Mysteries that he repeatedly shouts to Jim, trying to get his attention and say hello, but Jim acts as if he can't hear him. <laughs> He's like, leave me alone, you weirdo. After the game, Rick decided to go up to the man to chat. He runs up, shakes his hand, and asks about Jim's wife and kids, but the man gives him a weird look and walks away. I like that he says nothing. Yeah. He's just like, Bleh. Just turns around. Just ghosts him. Walks off. Five years later, Jim's father, Ernie, was leaving the doctor's office when he saw his son. Ernie yelled to his son and waved, but the man again gave him a funny look and got into a car that looked vaguely similar to his son's car. Weird shit is happening. Yeah. Jim is interviewed for the show and says that now they have two people who know him very well, claiming to have seen a man that looks just like him walking around town. Jim goes on to say that this guy even fooled his dad, the man who raised him... Next, we get a reenactment flashback to Jim's childhood. We see little Jim digging in a sandbox, and Robert Stack tells us that Jim was given up by his birth mother when he was very young. Jim loved his adoptive family. His life was happy and uneventful, except for one strange incident. Which is a weird way to set up this incident, because it's not, like, traumatic. No, it's just, It's like, not like his whole little... childhood was great, except this horrible thing. It's just this tiny little detail. Yeah, when Jim was 11, he went to visit his grandparents in Rochelle, Illinois. There, he was approached by a group of boys who ran up to him shouting the name Billy and asking if Jim wanted to play ba- basketball with them. Perplexed, Jim tells the kids that his name isn't Billy, but they don't believe him and insist that he stay to play with them. So You're like, yeah, okay, whatever, Billy. So this is the most traumatic thing that ever happened to Jim, apparently. He had a really good childhood, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. So he this incident always stuck with him, but he sort of dismissed it as like a weird occurrence. After high school, Jim joined the army and served in Vietnam. He married Cindy Holder, who had and had two children. 
The family settled in Rockford, Illinois. In Rockford, people Jim didn't recognize would frequently approach him, greeting him as if they were old friends. He brushed off these encounters as being people he simply didn't remember meeting, but then people started telling him that they would see him in places he didn't remember ever being. So then on Christmas Day, 1991, a strange occurrence culminated the strange occurrences culminated at a mini mart about five blocks from Jim's house. Shirley Heerlin was at the register, and she tells Unsolved Mysteries that a man came in who she assumed was Jim. He walked the same, talked the same, and even had the same mannerisms. Within minutes of that person leaving, Jim and Cindy walked in. She joked that she that Jim had forgotten something, but Jim was confused and said that he hadn't been there all day. Uh, Cindy confirmed, saying, you know, this was Christmas Day, they hadn't left the house yet. Just 15 minutes earlier, and the two Jims could have met each other. Yeah, because the store clerk is like, oh, you forgot something? And he's like, what are you talking about? Right. It's like, you were just here. You were literally just here. Yeah, and both Jim and his wife are like, no, we haven't left the house yet. Like, oh. So that was weird. Your doppelganger is around. I know. How creepy. So three weeks later, Jim's wife, Cindy, was visiting Jim's grandmother, Sophie. Sophie grew strangely quiet when Cindy told her about the odd case of mistaken identity at the mini mart. Cindy pressed Sophie about it, and Sophie said that Jim's father, Ernie, had sworn her to secrecy about something years earlier. But Ernie's dead now, uh, so she was ready to spill the beans. She also, in this reenactment, I don't know if this was really her or an actress, but she's like, it's like she's seen a ghost. Her eyes are so wide and she just slowly sits down and they're like, Sophie, Sophie, are you okay? I promised I would never tell. (laughs) This whole, they really shoot this segment in like a very eerie kind of otherworldly way. It's a Twilight Zone vibe. So, Sophie says that years ago, when Ernie was in the process of adopting Jim, the lawyer who was helping facilitate the adoption told him that Jim had a brother. A twin. Ah! Bet you didn't see that coming. You might have. I don't know. (laughs) We might refer to it as nature's whimsy. Well, I think it's very interesting that these these men are apparently walking and talking the same, despite not being raised together. That is wild. And maybe it's nature's whimsy. I would call that the loudest plane ever going overhead. I would absolutely call that nature's whimsy. So Jim was excited to hear that he had a brother out there. He obtained a family history from the adoption agency, but it didn't list any names. It did, however, mention that Jim's birth mother had a nephew who drowned at age 14. Jim used this information to hunt down a newspaper from 1945. Weird detail to include. Right. So he went to the library and had a comb through years and years of old newspapers until on he the, finally on the found something. I love this, the scenes where they have to get the microfiche out right. and they turn the thing. It's so dramatic. So literally just flipping through old newspaper clippings until he found one about a boy that drowned. Uh, I'm here to find uh, cool old newspaper stories about boys drowning. That's this what I'm looking for. One of the reasons I love these lost love mysteries because there's actually like an an element of investigation that goes on, which happens today, but it's typically easier, right? You can just go on the internet. Right, 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 right. Send your DNA in and have your family treat made. Like, he's having to go to the library and spend hours combing through newspapers. And then he finally found it. So um, he found the newspaper clipping of a boy who drowned at age 14, and he finally had a name, Hieronymus. So mm-hmm. his name was Jim Hieronymus. Through the phone- That sounds made up. Kind of. Through the phone book, Jim located a woman with the same name. 
When he arrived at her door, Jim realized that he had found his aunt Myrtle, who was shocked at how much Jim looked like her brother Bud. In the reenactment, you would assume this would be awkward, right? You just go to a stranger's house and you're kind of like, blah, blah, blah. I think we're related. And she's like, you don't have to tell me we're related. You look exactly like my brother. Right. Which, oh my God. It's wild. So Myrtle was the mother of the boy who drowned in 1945. For the first time, Jim saw a photo of his mother, Hazel, who had sadly died three years earlier. Hazel had distanced herself from her family, not telling them of his and his brother's birth. Myrtle thought that Hazel had been seeing a married man, but she wasn't sure. She also told Jim that he had an older sister. So next we get to hear the deets about Jim's birth and adoption. He basically knows everything except for the name except for uh, his anything about his brother he only thinks that his brother's name is billy he doesn't actually know and neither does myrtle yeah maybe those kids were just mistaken or weird right so um we get an update that's a little bit unsatisfying given how good this mystery was um after the episode aired jim was reunited with his sister whose name is judy very sadly jim died a year after their reunion without ever meeting his brother his family would still like to find jim's twin or any other relatives that might be out there we don't hear if they ever did so it's really sad because i don't think jim is very old we yeah. saw him in the and he episode really nice he's yeah so sweet guy it's really unfortunate that he died just a year later without ever finding his brother he did get to meet his sister which was nice but they didn't get very much time together it's surprising to me that they didn't find his brother considering he seemed to be in the same town somewhere in the rockford area you have a photo basically of what he looks like no one saw unsolved mysteries and was like oh that's billy so-and-so i was certain we'd get an update at the end that said they found they found him and i was really hoping we'd get to see like them go back and visit him and he's like sitting next to his twin like that would have been right. so cool we and did we go oh yeah they really do look like i we can see why these people get that, were mistaken unfortunately i've talked about this before but i had a doppelganger in las cruces new mexico so i just want to say hi to my doppelganger wherever you are i hope they're listening uh to the point where i would go places and people would be like were you here yesterday and i'd go no i've never been here before she's out there somewhere someone who looks exactly like me yeah. and wears clothes i would wear mm-hmm Hi, other Liz. Oh, I hope you're well. New Liz. New. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Well, that was really interesting. It has really. I feel like I talked about this with Matt because I found it so interesting. And I feel like Rockford is the perfect sized city for this to happen because it's like both big enough that you don't really know everyone, but also small enough that you will bump into people. Right. So it seems totally possible that, yeah, you could just like, your paths could just like never quite cross. But you're just like... There's a movie plot in here somewhere. This is sort of in the same orbit. And that's sort of what Jim said, too. He's like, when they first moved to Rockford, he's like, it's a small enough town and I do meet a lot of people that it's not out of the question that these people who keep coming up to me saying hello like we're friends would be people i've met so she sort of was able to dismiss it until people were like hey weren't you at the the kmart last week i thought i saw you in the shoe section he was like no i hate kmart i never go there right so i don't know so crazy didn't i see you at the porno store last weekend (laughs) and he was like absolutely not no never i mean in that way it's kind of convenient (laughs) You just blame it all on your... Didn't I see you buying drugs last weekend? I'm pretty sure that's the doppelganger. If you saw Unsolved Mysteries, you would know. <laughs> just get out of everything. <laughs> Probably what he did. Hmm. Well, 
Okay, we have a missing person. I love this case. This one? I love this if case. You thought the, the I love this doppelganger case. twin mystery was wild. This next oh, one takes it, it to places. a, a I'm new I'm so level. excited to talk about this with Samantha. It's been killing me that I watched this days ago and we haven't been able to talk about it. This is the case of Alex Cooper from Cranbrook, British Columbia in Canada. Um, and it goes back to April 4th, 1987. Okay, so Alex Cooper, he was 65. He was a musician, apparently. He was a, a father and a husband. Robert Stack describes him in the weirdest way. He calls him a folksy, down-to-earth family man. That is a little weird. It's a strange way to describe someone. He seems, you know, like a sweet old man. He sure. had five children, several... It just says several grandchildren. He wore very large glasses. <laughs> very large. And he had gotten a like new-ish job uh, as a traveling salesman selling some sort of cleaning supplies. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1986 he got that job. So he was starting to spend some time on the road. One day, uh, his daughter and her husband are driving out of town to do some shopping and they see his car parked by the side of the road sort of by a river and being from canada they said oh let's stop and say hello to dad obviously we're not just going to keep driving and go about our business of course not so they assume that since he liked to fish he's gonna be down by the river fishing but they go down there nobody nowhere to be found they are the reenactment is them just like wandering calling his name (laughs) can't find him so she calls her mom and she's like, oh, I thought he was out of town. I haven't seen him in like 24 hours. Starting to get worried. Starting to get worried. So her daughter sensibly first calls the hospitals, calls nearby hotels. They haven't heard from him. Only at that point does she contact the police. Sensible. Yes, very sensible. So um, they start looking around. They don't find really any footprints or evidence. Um, there's like clothing and fishing equipment inside the car. He had left his credit cards and his heart medication at home. But when they put out sort of a public appeal in the press, they get back several eyewitness statements that they saw a man fitting that description hitchhiking out of town as if he had just abandoned his car and with nothing except the clothes on his back went to start a new life. And at this point I went, no. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. That didn't happen. This man who needed heart medication that he did not have had a heart attack by the river and he fell in. Right, which is what they reenact in the episode because that was the <laughs> very ridiculously looking of him going ah, 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 and tumbling and into the river. Falling into the river and flailing. Ominous anyway. music plays. Yeah. Yes. But that seemed like a, a likely scenario, and uh-huh. even the daughter considered that possible, that he had gone down to the river going, oh, is this like a new fishing spot for me, and then had a heart attack and was swept away by the current. Uh, they send some divers into the river. They don't find anything, but it seems like it's a pretty large, fast-moving river, so that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Okay. Oh, so yeah, the, the cops, after they hear this hitchhiking thing, they seem to like they're sort of done with the case. They're like, he yeah, left town. He left town. And his family was like, no, he would not do that. He loved us. He's he, been married to this woman for so long. They for had like children years. and grandchildren. Yeah. He seemed like very much a family man. Yeah. So for him to just leave his family seemed extremely unlikely. Something, either he was met with foul play, or yeah, he maybe went down to the river and either accidentally or on purpose... And right. ended up dying. Right. Or he's just, like, in the woods somewhere, and no one found his body. Yep. Right? This is not like a... This is 
bordering on wilderness. That's not the most like populous area. Right. And this is not an, an, that unusual of a thing to happen. We've had lots of missing people on this show whose cars have been discovered in remote areas and then their bodies are found. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ugh, so sad. So after a year, his, the Cooper family accepts, look, he's not coming back. He, he died somewhere. We don't know where he is, but we need to grieve for him. So they have him declared legally dead. At this time, they realize that Alex Cooper has no birth certificate, no school records, no military records. In fact, basically does not exist until his marriage. Very strange. And this is this, like, just really normal, quiet dude who, who liked, sells cleaning supplies door to door and liked hanging out with his family and like strumming an acoustic guitar and fishing and they're like huh wait so he's been dead for a year we assume now we want to have him legally declared dead and suddenly we can't find any record of him existing yeah before he got married yeah so there's no record of him prior to 1952 so they go huh this is maybe not his real name but we don't know what that means. So we get like a quick update from Unsolved Mysteries of them going, I I don't know what this means. I still assume that he's dead. The daughter is like, this. even if I question his identity, I don't question him as a person. Right. I knew my father. I loved my father. He was a great man. And we see the daughter, the same daughter, several times. She's in different outfits. So it kind of really gives you an idea of the time period. Because initially they're like, okay, he's just disappeared. And then there's this update where it's like, okay, we found out this weird thing. We still assume he's dead. But if anyone has any information, let us know. Yeah. Okay. Third so update. So that's a little bit weird. But you don't really know what happened. Third update. Things get wild. <laughs> I did not see this coming at all. So this is four years after his disappearance. May 27th, 1991. In Toronto, another man is reported missing. Also a traveling salesman. His name is David Cooper. He is reported missing. He is living at a, been living at a boarding house for about a year. I forgot who reported him missing, but the police come, they, like, search his room, they take his fingerprints, I think are figuring out that he's actually Alex Cooper. He has a Polaroid photo of him holding one of his children as a baby in his room. Right. This man looks very distinctive. Yeah. He's a little Mr. Peanut of a man. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's true. (laughs) Okay. And so he comes back to the boarding house. He sees that the police are there and he's like, oh no, what happened? And the woman that runs the boarding house was like, yeah, someone reported you missing. So the police had come to investigate it. And he's like, who reported it? And she was like, "Mm, not me. Basically like, I run a boarding house. I know to keep my nose out of stuff. (laughs) Right. And he's like, it's not your fault, but I got to go. And he like runs out. (laughs) So yeah, that was Alex Cooper. And then... The craziest part of all is suddenly he's on the show. Yeah. So they found him. Uh, it's, it's really weird. It's he really weird. agrees to sit down and talk to Unsolved Mysteries. Suddenly, the camera pans to him. You know he's how- sitting there and he's like, well, you know, uh, <laughs> things are weird. <laughs> you know how I always am like, people do not just leave to start a new life with the clothes on their back. <laughs> Turns blah, out blah, blah, blah. sometimes they do. This guy did just to prove me wrong, I think. It was a personal spite. He was like, way back then. Yeah. 
So, um, a viewer in Hamilton, Canada, recognized Alex and contacted the authorities. So, on January 10th, 1992, Alex is located and told the police that his real name was Albin Arnest Arsenault. Yeah, I think that's right. Arsenault. Arsenault. Anyway. And that in 1948, when Alex was only 26 years old, he was falsely accused of robbing an office at the railway station where he worked. This man had the most extreme reaction and to just, like, went. being caught stealing staples or something from his <laughs> office supply cabinet. He was like, well, gotta leave town, start a new life. What? I mean, it's the 40s, I guess. That Maybe that seemed like a really viable option, where he was like, I'm not going down for this. I didn't steal those staples. What? what I'm that? starting over with a fake name. So what, he just, like... What could be the consequence? Are you gonna go to jail for that? You're probably gonna get fired, but if you fucking run off, you're not ha- working that job anyway. Yeah, I don't. He, I, I mean, guess, I guess he was very concerned about going to jail. But what's hilarious is that Robert Stack is like, by the time he changed his name, not realizing that they were probably not looking for him. He's basically on the run from a crime no one gives a shit about. <laughs> you would expect, like, did he murder someone? Did he go on a bank robbery crime spree? No, he like stole a ream of paper from his work. <laughs> I mean, and now was, he's like on the run. They don't say what it was. I assume it's money, probably. But probably some money. But come he on. was like, I'm not going down for this. I'm out of here. I'm changing my name to Alex Cooper. Which I would it would make more sense to me if he was 19 or something, but he was 26 years old at this point where he has this reaction. So, he goes on the run. He changes his name to Alex Cooper. He this has nothing to do with his family at all. He later meets his family and does start this like legitimate life with them. He just never tells them that that's not his real name. For 30 some odd years, he lives this life as a person he is not, has a family, has children, has grandchildren, never telling them that it does. Guess what? That's so wild. I find it, in, like, I want to know what he told them about his family or, like, where he was from. Right, did or... he have a lie or did he just, did they never ask? Or they're just like, so, when do we meet your parents? And he was like, never. I mean, they died in a tragic avalanche. As I was watching this, I was sitting there trying to imagine if I was in that scenario and all this time, I would, suddenly I had a child. Suddenly I had another child. And the whole time just knowing that I'm lying to them about who I am. Yeah, because you're Don Draper. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it, what's so funny is that there was never any criminal charges against him. And yet he did all this. He was just like accused of robbing his office. Yeah. I'm sure someone probably went, someone went no, itself maybe out. it was Alex and he was like fuck that I'm out of here <laughs> he hops the nearest train <laughs> yeah leave bye <laughs> I'm Alex Cooper now did he have family who was looking for him I was I also no curious idea. about that never it's never it's said never said so what happened was that as his 65th birthday arrived he needed to submit a birth certificate to receive his pension he knew that he couldn't submit a birth certificate because he made this weird impulsive decision all these years ago to live under a fake name. So, per his MO, <laughs> yeah, every 30 so years, this guy makes a bold, sudden, life-changing decision, and he just decides one day to split town. Okay, if somehow this is you, if you are in this situation right now and listening to this podcast, go talk to a lawyer... I'm sure you can work it out. Like, maybe there's some fraud and living under a fake name for all these years. 
You can plead it out. I'm sure he could have still gotten his pension. There- did, did you actually have harm anyone? Like, I'm sure the consequences aren't going to be that great. Maybe Your family is not going to be happy to hear this. But guess what will make them even more unhappy? Yeah. If you disappear if for four years. they dead for four years. <laughs> they're, they're, I'm not a lawyer. I'm certainly not a Canadian lawyer. I just feel like there probably was a way to get this fixed. That wasn't moving to Toronto and changing your name again, <laughs> Alex. Face the consequences of your actions. You're an adult. <laughs> but anyway, that's what happened. He said he was too ashamed to tell his family, and so he just bolted again. But in the end, we see him reunited with his family, and they are, for the most part, happy to see him. But they do make it quite clear that their family dynamic is strange now. His wife sits next to him and says, I hope we can work this out. Yeah, but then she's like, it won't be the same as it was, but maybe it could be even better. Very optimistic. Because she's Canadian. Right. And at one point, when they were looking for him and thought maybe he was... You know, I think this was the second update when they knew he didn't have a birth certificate. Something was up. His daughter was like, I want to give him a kick in the butt and then a big hug (laughs) and then another kick in the butt. Like, they loved this man so much that the fact that he did this very impulsive, damaging thing, they still loved him. Yes. And he came back and he was like so remorseful and was like, I'm going to work my whole life to try to make up for ditching my family. It's this, like, unforgivable sin. I shouldn't be forgiven. He seemed extremely remorseful. I think he did just panic and then felt like he couldn't go back. I mean, that seems to be his go-to reaction. This guy has a very strong flight response to problems. Could you imagine if he walked out of Walmart and realized he had, like, I don't know, a biscuit in his pocket? I was trying to think of something small. Right. He was, like, browsing the, I don't know, the, the first thing I think of is, like, nail polish, but that's probably not what he's buying. <laughs> and, like, he actually, like, accidentally left it with it in his hand, and he's like, oh, no! I didn't pay for this! Or it was, like, on the bottom of the cart, you yeah. know? He's, like, he's like walking out, he's like, wait, they didn't scan this LaCroix. I didn't pay for it. And he just knocks over the cart, starts sprinting at full speed, <laughs> and goes on to live, like, another life so he doesn't get accused of shoplifting. He hops the near the, the next flight <laughs> out, of out of here. I'm going to Bermuda. I'm not living the life of a shoplifter. I look. We don't know about Alex's childhood. Maybe there's some trauma there. That two years. Our fourth update is the next year. He had some unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> and it's just like split. See ya, family. I'm not going down for this. <laughs> Kind of, I did. I mean, this twist I just did not see coming at all. I thought this was going to be very sad, and they would eventually like find his bones in the forest, being pecked at by a vulture or something. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a tragedy for this family, and instead, it's just very strange. Um, the final information is that his wife passed away in 1996, and Alex Cooper passed away in 2007. So they did get a few more years together, and hopefully that was of some comfort to her, even though <laughs> she had, even though she had like grieved over her husband, and then he came back. Very odd. Which, on one hand, you have to be like, "Wow, I really wanted you to come back." On the other hand, you just laughed of your own volition, <laughs> so that's not great. You just abandoned your family. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, not great. But I, you know, I hope that was some comfort to her in her final years. Uh, I I love this case. I yeah. love everything about it. I hope season four keeps hitting us with these these good mysteries. Very because st- quite enjoyed it. He said, "This is a little lesson for someone about apologies." Not everybody understands how apologies work. I've learned from the internet where people will be like, they've apologized. What more do you want? With a sincere apology, you understand people might not accept it. Hmm. That's huh. weird. I wonder if there's podcast hosts out there that can use this lesson. <laughs> but Alex Cooper said, I don't deserve for anyone to accept my apology. And I was like, that's the appropriate amount of remorse, Alex. Good job. And that he would spend the rest of his life making amends. Rest in peace, Alex. Yeah. You are a strange dude, and <laughs> I really I really enjoy it. <laughs> All right, should we rate this episode? Yes. Mysteriousness. Um, so the John Wilkes huh. Booth one, I don't give a no. shit about, so I don't know if we could call that mysterious. It's not mysterious. It's, the word you're looking for is boring. The twin one, I kind of expected it to be a, a long-lost twin the whole time, but it yeah. was still... It was still mysterious the fact in a way. That they never found him as mysterious. Right. And this last one was just mystery after mystery. Okay, that I was on the edge of my seat with that so one. So I kind of want to give it a thumbs up for mysterious. I feel like you just take a nap. You take like a little cat nap, something I'm not really capable of doing, but well, let's say you can take a little cat nap during the John Wilkes Booth mystery. Wake sure. up, get up these, and pop some popcorn. See these two great mysteries, and then you'll get a thumbs up for mysteriousness. Yeah. Reenactments. John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know shit about Civil War reenacting, so I can't say if this was good. It seemed good to me, I mean, despite how boring the mystery was. I was like, huh. horses and shit. Yeah, right. The costuming seemed they burned down a good. barn. They were galloping around. Like we, it seemed- we gotta see parts of Rockford and their their sure. softball leagues. Yep. So I say thumbs up. Yep. And how about fashion? Actually, there's some great fashion in the last the mm-hmm. Alex Cooper mystery. Oh, yeah. Because we get to keep getting updates from this family. We get to see them over a little period of time. His wife, at one point, was wearing a very stylish scarf. Yes. And, like, a blue windbreaker or something. Yes. Oh, yes, With she her, was. her big old glasses kind of matched her husband's. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. So, thumbs up for fashion, I think. Yep. And what about Robert Stack? I really like the, like, study he's in. It's very point. gentlemanly in this episode. Yeah. I would say thumbs way up. Yep. Now, your overall rating from zero to five Robert Stacks. <sighs> See, the problem is... The first one sucked. The first one sucks, but I love the last two. I put a 4.5. Wow. I was going to say four, because you didn't have to take notes on John Wilkes Booth. That's why I rated it higher. <laughs> Because I really I had was to, able to just kind of like I zone had a, out. I had a goo- now in my Google search history is John Wilkes Booth dead, <laughs> and that's so embarrassing. People will find that and know that I looked that up yeah. like a, like a nerd. That's true. So my numbers are inflated by the fact that I didn't have to take notes <laughs> on John. Wilkes I think Booth. it's definitely worth watching. You just maybe sure. zone out or text a friend yeah. during the the first one. Scroll through Twitter. Do what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make right. some snacks or some tacos. Yeah. You'll get through it. What uh, are you recommending this week? I want to 
wanted to recommend. I wanted to. S- so I didn't really do a recommendation last week because we looked at the X Files scrapbook. Your the post about your X Files scrapbook on our Instagram has been one of our most popular posts of all time. I would also like to. Okay, this what Liz is about to say is a <laughs> goddamn lie. No, no, it's not at all. <laughs> Everybody was like, huh, this seems to just be a Dave Duchovny scrapbook, not an X-Files scrapbook. And I was like, that just happens to be the picture Samantha took. It's not representative of the whole. Whatever. Liz is full of lies. That's not true. <laughs> how, could you, how could you besmirch my character like this? There's plenty of pages for Jillian Anderson and the show. You just wanted the picture of David's company only wearing a teacup on there. It's also true that the, the pages of the scrapbook I found most humorous were the ones <laughs> devoted to David Duchovny. Well, fair. Because I was imagining Liz like sneaking off to the printer in her house to print out pictures of half-naked David <laughs> Duchovny and then gluing them into her scrapbook. <laughs> So and there's, I mean, and there's the print is so shitty because, and I'm sure that was one of the finest printers at the time, but goddamn, that was quality. A long so time head over ago. to Instagram and check that out. Yeah. So I didn't really do a recommendation last week. I wanted to start my season four recommendation off with a bang. Okay. I recommend my favorite book of all time. Oh, of all time. Of all time, ladies and gentlemen. You ready? I'm ready. Everybody's like, seat. oh my god, just say it. It's the story of Mary McLean by Mary McLean. Okay. I have it right here. It looks like the most boring book you've ever seen in your life. It definitely looks like something you might find on the discount rack of half Price <laughs> books. Uh, this was published in 1901 by Mary McLean. Perhaps when you learn the working title, you'll be less surprised this was my favorite book. She wanted to call this, I Await the Devil's Coming. <laughs> Okay, it's all making more sense. And the publisher went, absolutely not. <laughs> we will call this the story of Mary McLean. Uh, so this is like a very early, I feel like this would still be cutting edge if it came out now. It's like kind of a memoir, kind of a manifesto. She's openly bisexual. It's like very feminist. Wow. And the like overarching premise of it is, it's like if, People telling her that she's sinful, she'd be like, fine, I'll marry the devil. I'm waiting. <laughs> Where's the devil? I'm ready to get hitched. And that's Amazing. the like. Oh, oh, it's so good. This book was a huge hit when it came out, wow. believe it or not. It sold 100,000 copies in a month. Wow. And all sorts of famous writers at the time, including like F. Scott Fitzgerald, made fun of it because people were like so scandalized by it's like brash sexuality and blah 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 i'm gonna read the very beginning of this book because i feel like i'm excited it will reveal why this is the like this will inspire me every day of my life this is how it opens i of womankind in 19 years will now begin to set down the full and frank portrayal i am able of myself mary mclean for whom the world contains not a parallel i am convinced of this for i am odd I am distinctly, originally, innately in in development. I have in me a quite unusual intensity of life. I can feel. I have a marvelous capacity for misery and for happiness. (laughs) I am broad-minded. I am a genius. Oh, my God. I Blah, 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 blah. I have attained an egotism that is rare indeed. I have gone into the deep shadows. All of this constitutes oddity i find therefore that i am quite quite odd this is amazing it's amazing 
I love it. I do understand why this is your favorite book. So, so much. It's just all stuff that I want to, like, scream from the top of a mountain. There's one part where it's like, may I never be that something's like something so horrible as an honorable woman or something just like oh my god (sighs) anyway i once checked this book out from the library and left it on a bus (laughs) and then on a max card also so mac had to like show up at the library and be like hey i lost this book but also i liked it so much i had already bought a copy he was like but here it it is and they were just like (laughs) okay okay so, anyway. Oh, my goodness. I originally learned about this from Bitch Magazine. Yes. Which did a profile on it. So, thank you, bitch. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing with us your favorite book. Mm-hmm. I have a much more lowbrow recommendation. I love it. already. So, Liz is possibly already knows what I'm going to talk about, which is my latest favorite trashy TV. <gasps> uh, <gasps> yes. Uh I don't even know how to start talking about this, except to say that it's on MTV, which is... I stumbled upon this by accident. My husband likes to watch very strange things on YouTube, and the other night he was watching... uh, Inked Magazine is this tattoo magazine that puts out these interviews with tattoo artists. Sure. Where they... Like, each episode is posed one question, so it's like, what is your biggest pet peeve that clients do? And I think the one we were watching was... Something like, what is the worst tattoo anyone's ever asked you to do? And one of the tattoo artists who was interviewed said, I frequently am on this show called How Far is Tattoo Far? And I had to tattoo a, get ready for this, a ball sack tramp stamp. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. And so that immediately gave us pause. And we said, what is this this show that she's talking about? So we looked it up on YouTube, and you can find clips of it on YouTube. It is called How Far is Tattoo Far? It's an MTV TV show that I recently recommended to Liz, and I, I think I Liz watched has watched so much of it. The great thing about YouTube is, I, I assume these episodes are like 20 minutes long, 22 minutes long, yeah. like standard TV episode length, though I feel like MTV has a lot of ads, but... When they put it on YouTube, they just edit it down to the most important parts. So yes. it's only like five minutes. So here is the premise Mwah. of the show. Two Mwah. people who most of the time claim to be friends, but I'm dubious of that, come <laughs> onto the show and the hosts are Snooky from Jersey Shore and some other guy who's like... I think he's from like later Jersey Shore. I don't know he's who he is. He's from some sort of MTV show. Maybe later editions of Jersey Shore I never watched. But those are the hosts and these two people come on and they pick a tattoo that the other person has to get they pick that they don't know what it is yes they pick what the what the tattoo is and where it goes for my from what i can tell in watching quite a bit of the show there's no rules possibly except it can't go on their face because i've never seen someone there's been no face or neck yeah there's been no face or neck tattoos but pretty much everything else is is the acceptable sure yeah right by the crotch absolutely the dick area (laughs) fine yes as as doctors call it the dick area Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the, the, they're blindfolded, and then they get a tattoo, and then at the very end, they reveal what the tattoo is. And when I say everything, nothing is off limits, a ball sack tramp stamp was something that was on the show. Oh, I mean, they want you to pick something that other person's Absolutely. Hate. And so I don't necessarily recommend if you don't like already subscribe to MTV or whatever, wherever you get their streaming episodes. Um, I don't necessarily recommend you buy it. You can buy the whole season. There's one full season out, and I think the second season just started 
on Amazon, but it's really expensive. It's like $25 for the whole season, no. we, mm. which we did spend. I will say. <laughs> because, so we blew through all the clips on YouTube because what's on YouTube is the reveal. So you can find like the best slash worst ones on YouTube and it's just the reveal at the end. But each episode has like two sets of tattoos. So you get to see four tattoos. And Uh. my husband was like, I need to see more of this. I'm spending the money. (laughs) So, but the whole episode is kind of boring because you get them coming in, talking to Snooki and that dude, telling like their relationship. And then you get to see them be tattooed. Snooki's reactions are hilarious. I really enjoy that because she's always like, what the fuck? Why would you put that on someone? She clearly hates all of these people and thinks they're bad people. And I'm really there for it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. So that's good, but it's too long because all you want to see is the reveal. Yeah, you're just like, just get to the tattoo. So go on YouTube, watch the free clips. If you have an extra $25, you can spend it and just see more. burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah, Which, I don't no, necessarily... you should give that to us. Yeah, maybe give it to us on our Patreon, but whatever. Because we gave you this solid recommendation. The tattoos people come up with are so insane. I don't, like... Don't spoil. Don't spoil I'm not gonna too spoil, many of them. I'm not going to... Okay, so I already told you about the <laughs> ball, ball sack tramp stamp. I don't know that I even want to mention any other ones, because you kind of have to be... You have to experience it. And most of them are pretty terrible, and also the tattooers are not great, so they don't come out great. I think a, a really fun aspect of the show is imagining what tattoos you would get for other people. Which is why I kind of wanted to recommend this, because it's trash garbage TV. I mean, I loved it. Obviously, we <laughs> loved it enough to spend 25 of our hard-earned dollars on the season. Uh, but it's also kind of fun to be like, so if Liz and I went on this show... Which I kind of want us to go on. I am convinced Samantha would get me a tattoo of two aliens 69ing that said Area 69. <laughs> I'm convinced that's what she would get me. It's like Liz can read my mind. And then I would get her a llama carrying some plants on its back. (laughs) This is another funny thing that happens occasionally on this show is two people go on and it seems like they have a misunderstanding of what they're going to do where one person is like giving them, I'm going to give them the worst fucking tattoo that's going to haunt them for the rest of their days. And then the other person is like, I'm going to be sweet and give them what they would really like. And then all of a sudden it's like you watch their friendship crumble before your eyes. Because one person has, like, yeah, themselves taking a shit or whatever, like, (laughs) tattooed on their leg. And then the other person has, like, a cute little flower. Like, it's hilarious. (laughs) It's it's really something. Yeah. So as society crumbles, I think that we should bear witness to that. Absolutely. I do. I was trying to figure out, like, who goes on this show, and there's only one episode where there was a pair of people on that I was like, yeah, I get it. And it's, like, these two dudes who have a, like, jackass-style YouTube channel, where they just, like, jump off of buildings into pools. It's like some Logan Paul bullshit, right? They they fall into a pile of (laughs) mousetraps. Who wouldn't want to do that for a job? So those two guys come on the show, and I'm like, yeah. Obviously. Right. But then there's some people that come on the show and, and like, oh, Snooki's been, like, what we've do- been friends since we were six years old. Yes. Or Snooki's like, so what do you do for a living? And they're like, I'm a pageant girl. Like, what? You're going to go up on a stage in the swimsuit competition <laughs> with a ball sack tramp stamp? Why would you risk that? <laughs> How much is this show paying you? It can't be that much. No. I don't feel like it's even going to be enough to get the tattooed laser off. Probably That's a- not. Getting tattoo removal is more expensive than tattoos. Yeah. And more painful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, 
It's trash. If you have been on this show, we want to hear from you. I need you. to hear from you. I need to hear also, like, what you would give someone, or what you think me and Liz would give each other. What would you give Samantha? Yeah, I need to, I need to know. Would it be Robert Stack looking in, looking at a picture of Elizabeth Taylor? <laughs> Like, lovingly. Like, oh. Just staring at it. Would it be Robert Stack, Elizabeth Taylor, and JFK having a threesome? (laughs) A a thruple, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. On a heart-shaped bed. That would be something. With an alien looking through a window. (laughs) (laughs) An alien peeping Tom. Yeah. Watching the threesome. Yeah, that's why they come to Earth. They're just pervs. Sure. I mean, makes sense. (laughs) Okay. So if you uh, were on the show, perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Right in. Please, please, please. You can also post in our Facebook group. We have a Facebook group called the Unofficial Perhaps It's You Facebook, something like yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's only one. There's only one you'll find it. <laughs> we're, we're so popular. There's only one. Um, bah, 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 our website is perhaps it's you.com. You can listen to episodes there if you don't like Stitcher or Podbean or you whatever. You can also find all of our old recommendations on our website. Not all of them, because I haven't updated it in a while. You can also Some find of most of our recommendations <laughs> on our website. I'll get around to that eventually. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias at perhaps it's you, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. And, and if you're really looking ahead... To when we're going to do another Listener Stories episode. We would love to hear your paranormal tales of alien sightings, ghost sightings. Oh, yeah. You can also email those. Times you sold your soul to the devil. And you were like, all right, I'm ready to get married. I'm waiting, devil. Please let us know. Perhaps it's you podcast. If you have 25 extra dollars that you don't want to spend on how far is tattoo to far. Or if you just have one extra dollar, you can give it to us on patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. And you'll get bonus content. Five dollars and up gets you a coloring sheet every month. Our coloring sheets have been hitting it out of the park. Um, Ten dollars a month gets you a special special gift every, every quarter. quarter. Really, we have one of the best Patreon deals going. I gotta I'm say, pretty sure we do. And I, what are we watching this month for Patreon? Ooh, 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 ooh. We're gonna forensic do files? forensic files. I've thought of a couple more episodes of forensic files. It's been a minute since we've done a forensic files episode. I think it's time to return to my one true love and dive into a few episodes of forensic files, and then maybe the following month we'll have to investigate if we should do that mummies and cults. Oh, right, the top ten mummies and cults. Yeah, I was thinking we should also do another factor fiction. Uh, oh, beyond absolutely. Belief Factor Fiction. I don't know when we'll do that, but those are always really fun. Uh, I mean, this should just slowly turn into a Beyond, beyond Belief podcast. Yeah. I and then so. a Kitchen Nightmares podcast. Yeah. Okay. So we have that future planned out for us. That's good. Um, If you're having any sort of legal trouble, please don't just bail on your whole family. I don't really think that's going to work in this day and age anyway. Call a lawyer first. Yeah. Just, like, just ask them. Just see, like, hey, is there a way for me to get out of this? Or do I really need to, like, go... To, some, to somewhere where, the, where there's no extradition. <laughs> Just, like, check in first before you make that impulsive decision. Wait, That's you, my legal wait, advice. Wait, you accidentally didn't pay for a six-pack of LaCroix and you <laughs> left it in the parking lot? No, you do not have to run away. Your family would be very sad. What are you talking Sorry, about? Anyway. You've wrapped up the maximum amount of library fines. It's okay. It's, it's going to be fine. Yeah, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, thanks, everyone. Sad. Get out there. Solve some mysteries, bitches. Bye. Bye.